I know yes, good morning to you once again. But if you're just joining us, this is gospelbellsradio.com, your community Christian internet talk radio with a mission to engage the contemporary culture with the mind of Christ. It's Wednesday, the 12th of July, 2023. The program is on the Lord's side, Christian perspectives on news and current events. My name is Olufemi Ogutoko. You can follow us on Twitter at Olufemi OG. You can follow Gospel Bells Radio on Twitter at Gospel Bells Radio. Okay, in Nigeria, it is no longer news that uh, pastors, popular pastors, and when I say popular pastors, I use popular in the sense of uh, being uh, better known in the public space. You know, popular as an English word uh, is it's capable of at least two meanings. It could mean somebody who is uh, more, uh, who is better known than when compared to others, or uh, someone who enjoys. Uh, who enjoys acceptance more than others, but we're using popular now just in the loose sense of one of the uh, one of the better known uh, pastors in the society. Well, it is not unusual for pastors like that to get into controversy from time to time, especially in Nigeria, uh, because you find that well, because we are a religious nation, uh, pastors, many pastors feel themselves compelled to double into politics, to express opinions about politics. And let us start uh, from this point that it is the right of every citizen to hold a political viewpoint. It is not wrong to hold a political viewpoint. And really, I mean, actually, at the end of the day, uh, a pastor's political viewpoint need not align with his, uh, with his member's view- viewpoint. Because in areas of politics, at the end of the day, you find that sometimes there is no right or wrong, right? At the end of the day, sometimes there is no right or wrong in the, in the ultimate sense that we Christians view uh, right or wrong. And um, uh, most times, it's even difficult to, de- to identify which one is the right side, which one is the wrong side. Right, we just try as much as possible using the compass we have been given by the Holy Scriptures, you know, to find our way. And oftentimes, you have those gray areas where you are not even able uh, to decide who, uh, which is uh, what. But uh, more importantly, something that we often forget is that uh, we think so much of politics. We think so much of politics of what politics is able to do for our society. Uh, so much so that uh, many people feel that any religious leader that is not um, commenting on politics, that is not taking a position, is out of touch. They, so they say to such people, look, you think you'll just be praying and things will happen. We have to go out there and make political decisions and participate and and contest for offices and make things happen because uh, we think that uh, politics is that powerful. Politics is important, consequential, but it's not all that. I, I, I dare say. Anyway, that's my way of introduction. This is I want to take this report from from Sarah Reporters. It says Labour Party supporters attack Covenant Church Pastor Kojuyemade for asking Nigerians to support government, not minding quote who is playing. Labour Party supporters attack Covenant Church Pastor Kojuyemade for asking Nigerians to support government, not minding in quote who is playing. Sorry about that. I could, I'll read this. It says some supporters of the Labour Party, again, some supporters of the Labour Party's presidential candidate, Peter B, have come 
after Pastor Kwojo Imade, the senior pastor and founder of the Covenant Nation, over his recent comment urging Nigerians to work together for the country's growth regardless of party allegiance. Oyemade on his Twitter page had written, quote, For everyone who loves Nigeria, you want the country to win regardless of, quote, who is playing. Just like you want your favorite team to win the trophy, even if the coach didn't field your preferred players, when your team scores, you are happy. Let's stay focused. It's all about the country winning. End of quote. And this reporter says, the comment did not go well. Did, well, the comment did not go down well with some uh, people on the internet who were adding supporters of Peter B. And of course, we should also understand, you see, there is some uh, wisdom to all these things when you read uh, when you read reports like this. Many people have said that uh, it is a wise thing nowadays if you are engaging with news reports to look at the, the source and the outlet from which you are reading. For example, if I'm reading something that has uh, social significance and I'm reading from CNN, I know that CNN leans left, meaning that CNN leans, often leans left in the sense of advocating for progressivism in the, in the, in the culture. So there's always that bent, that's that editorial bent in their reportage, and that's very important for uh, one to take note of. If you are reading, if you are reading something that has uh, social consequence for the society, you are reading it from Fox News. You know that Fox News tends to lean right, uh, lean in favor of the conservatives. So you can always see that uh, that bent in their in their reporting. That's the same thing you have there. You know, several reporters and its publisher they are known uh, known opponent of uh, Mr. Peter B and his supporters. So w- so most reports you see there, you find, uh, you find, and this is my opinion, you find the reports in a way tending to, to paint the supporters of Mr. Peter B in, in bad light. I mean, it's not correct to say that uh, those who disagreed with uh, Pastor Kwaju Emade on the internet and on Twitter in particular were basically the supporters of Mr. Peter B. There are just many people, there are some Christians as well, uh, who, without political affiliation, just considered what is said not to be the right thing to be said at a time like this. At a time like this. But we are still going to get to the gist of the story. Now, I want to read again what uh, Pastor Kwaju Yemadi wrote. And you see, at, at first sight, you say to yourself, well, what, what could be wrong with that? He, he wrote saying, for everyone who loves Nigeria, you want the country to win regardless of who is playing. Just like you want your favorite team to win the trophy, even if the coach didn't field your preferred players. When your team scores, you are happy. Let's stay focused. It's all about the country winning. It's all about the country winning. So, at the end of the day, I think even Pastor Kwajo Imade, if he would reflect on these things, he would find that speaking in parables don't help in matters like this. If you want to talk about 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 a country, about a political situation, if you feel compelled to double into it, I think you are better off nailing your flag to the. I mean, um, yeah, you are better off nailing your flag to the mast, right? I I, I hope I get that expression right. You are you are you are better off nailing your colors to the mast. Let people know exactly where you stand, and if you are led, if if you feel yourself. Uh, comfortable in your spirit, being in that position, yeah, make it very clear. This is where I stand, and do not speak in uh, in parables. And I think the pastor also got himself in further troubles when 
Uh, then it made allusion to to the story of Solomon. Now you know that story of the, the story of Solomon, and I'm trying to get to it right now. You know the story of Solomon, how Solomon was confronted with that dilemma that was brought to him. He had uh, the it was it was brought to his court. He had to decide to determine uh, the rightful owner of a baby. And of, of course, you know, it was not the age of DNA. There was no DNA and he could not uh, he could not order for a test. But he had to make a decision. He had to decide the matter. And how did he decide it? Now, this is what Pastor Kodio Imadi wrote on Twitter. He wrote, The Wisdom of Solomon. Solomon, in his wisdom, wanted to find out who the mother of the child truly was. He had a dilemma for the two women claimed the child was theirs. Back then, there was no DNA test, so this could only be solved through unusual wisdom. Solomon said to bring out a knife and attempt to kill the baby. Whoever truly owned the baby would rather have the baby live, even if not with her, than to see the child die. We all know the story. There and then, the owner of the baby was revealed. For a true mother, we rather see a baby live with another than witness the baby crying in deep pain as she bleeds to death under the slice of a sharp knife. Sailor. So that's all he wrote. So, so he, he, he concluded the story there and said, Sailor, which we know is a popular uh, expression from the Psalms that is believed to mean, oh, pause and reflect, pause and reflect. Now, it is interesting that Pastor Ibadi did not say anything about Nigeria in this, although because this came almost immediately after he wrote that uh, people should uh, support whoever is playing in Nigeria and that it's all about the country winning. Uh, although it came soon after that, uh, maybe because it came soon after that, many people uh, suppose that uh, the pastor was referring to Nigeria uh, when he said, well, look, the, the, the way you will know those who really love uh, a, a thing, a person, or a country, or those who are really rooting for the success of that thing, place, or country, is by looking at those who would rather win than the thing survives, or people who prefer that everything should go to everything should go, uh, every everything should be brought down uh, if they would not have their way. And you see, no, I mean, we cannot go into the mind of this pastor to say that, okay, this is what he was saying because he did not really, uh, he did not really apply it to politics. But because of what he had said before, I, of course, I mean, when you're engaging with things like this, you bear in mind that this pastor had said things in the past about politics. We know uh, the candidate is supporting and many of the supporters of those who are now at the tribunal felt offended. And it is interesting, rather, that when you look at the the portion of the story uh, that the pastor quoted there, you find that just a partial retelling of the story. And I, I came across one uh, one reply, one reply to the pastor that really got me thinking, and, and, and it's so true. Somebody wrote saying, see the way you perverted this beautiful parable of perfect justice and wisdom into a search for legitimization for an unsustainable fraud. And then the person went on to talk about how in this retelling of the story, there is no statement here that the person who actually went to the king in this story, the person who went to the king, the person who presented a patient to the king was the real mother, the true mother. 
took the petition to the king and it was the uh the the fake mother the lying woman who actually carried the baby and tried to run with it uh, because that is the truth so the, it, it was the mother who had killed her own child whose child had died who stole the child of another and tried to run away with it and it was the mother whose child was stolen that went to the king not wanting any any and who went to the king to report the matter until the king intervened so we find that at the end of the day if pastor kodwe made continues to support the president as we know that he did support him before the election we find that uh, he only told a portion of the story that would seem to support that would seem to support uh, the preferences of the president right now if he would or if he would tell the story as a whole uh he would find that well the story would not fit into the narratives that he wants to tell to the public now at, at the risk of get, or doubling into the politics of it, and i don't want to double into the politics of it as i said earlier on that every person even pastors uh, they have their right to hold political opinions but what we can say from the lord's side is that there is a danger there is a danger right in trying to fit what is happening in politics into stories from the bible and that's a very dangerous thing remember again that there was, a, there was another pastor and uh, this time around the pastor of the house of the uh, house on the rock who in a bid to uh, to tell his congregants to vote for uh, the man who is now president who said that look a Saul will always come before a David and was telling people that look don't worry uh, vote for this Saul it may not be the perfect choice may not even be God's choice may not even do God's will but that he knows that a Saul comes before a David that David's time will come but vote for the Saul uh, first and at the risk I mean, we, again there are areas that you want to double in very cautiously because you do not know uh, what spirit revealed what things to them but what is very clear is that trying to fit political matters fit them like one leg a uh, one uh, one peg into a hole uh, into uh, biblical stories they are not uh, they are not always helpful because these stories were not written hey the story of the wisdom of solomon in deciding the mother of that baby was not written for explaining nigeria's politics Do we, can, can we all agree on that it was not written for explaining the policies of nigeria right and the reason why saul came before david in the order in the in, in historical order was not to explain uh the tinubu and peter of phenomenon which you can agree on that so making allusion to these stories uh, they are not really helpful politics should be as far away uh, from or, or rather biblical stories should be taken as far away from politics as possible the only thing we can draw from them are parallels they are wisdom we can draw from them so uh, I, I love the first part where Pastor Imadi spoke about when you see people who want to bring down a place all in the name of not having their way. And you become suspicious that, oh, you do not really mean well for the place. Yeah, that's the wisdom. That's the lesson we can get. We can draw from the Solomonic story. And that's the only lesson that we can draw from it. I mean, from the Solomonic story, draw the lesson that, yes, God promised Solomon wisdom and he gave it to him he gave it to him because he promised him so that story was put there to emphasize that the promise that god made to solomon the lord fulfilled it 
So, the, so there's always that danger when we want to concretize our political position, want to validate our political position, then we are looking for Bible stories to fit into. See, this is, I'm voting this way because Saul came before David. Oh no. There are more important things to look at than to say that. So, but this is not new. This is not only about politics. We find that in the Christian community nowadays, when people, people have a, people have a goal and then uh, we start looking for the story to support it. It should not work that way. It should not work that way. What, what should happen is that we should read the Bible and the Bible should lead us to our conclusions. Not the other way around. Not the other way around. We have our conclusion already and then we now start searching the Bible for how, how to substantiate it. This is um, uh, in jurisprudence, in law, we call this, uh, it's one of the school of thought about how judges read their conclusions. Some people argue that uh, a judge looks at the fact of the matter, comes to a conclusion as to what is the justice of the matter, and then goes back to look for principles and statutory authorities and case authorities to support that conclusion. Some people argue that that's not the way to go. The way to go is to begin to look at the statutory authorities and the case law principles and should allow them to lead you to a conclusion. Now, I mean, there is no right way or wrong way. The, the important thing to note is that uh, as human beings, we tend to have an end in mind. You have a preference in mind and then you now start looking for uh, for support from the scriptures. Uh, that's not the best way to do things. Yeah, It's not even God honoring to do it that way. If you truly want God to lead you to your preference, to your political preference, or to any decision whatsoever, you go down your knees and pray to God, and Lord will, read, will lead you to, to his word, to the Bible, and then you take the, the Bible in all humility and read it and apply the principles to, uh, to the facts you have, and then it leads you to a conclusion. But if you have a conclusion in mind, and then you now go back and then try to look for passages and stories and accounts to support that uh, support that conclusion, you just find yourself in trouble, in trouble this way. Because for me personally, it's always in bad light. I always feel very uncomfortable when on the internet you find pastors being dragged. You know, to, to use the word drag is to is to use what is now a popular expression in on the internet, when somebody has said something uh, considered unacceptable to many people, you find people saying, saying that that person is being dragged. I see most of when you see pastors being dragged on the internet, it's just a uh, very, very, uh, it's just in bad taste. Especially uh, for somebody, for anybody who is on the Lord's side, you just feel horrible about it. Not that, not only for the people who are dragging the pastor, but also for the pastors who got themselves into that situation in the first place because i said to myself well if you're going to use that parable if you're going to use that account of solomon making that decision why not set out the story in full why uh, would you take just a partial part of the story and then present it as if you are applying it to politics if you are not applying it to politics well make it clear because at the end of the day what happens is uh with every pastor who goes out there in the name of politics to make one statement or another and who appears to have uh, manipulated the Bible, to every pastor who does that, what you find is that uh, there is uh, the loss of legitimacy by, by organized religion. Uh, and I know some Christians who say that, why, why should you bother if organized religion is losing legitimacy? That what matters 
is that the core body of Christ, the true church of Christ remains and will always remain. Yeah, I agree with that. But even at that, you do not know, you don't want any institution that names the name of Christ to be brought into ridicule. And, 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 and that's the ultimate point of bringing this up, that everyone of us on the Lord's can agree that we do not want those who name the name of Christ. Any, any institution that names the name of Christ to be brought to ridicule, and we should avoid this as much as possible. And if we are truly led to make any statement, it should be based on biblical authority, not just trying to justify our political. I mean, I do not ever see myself. I mean, if we should never come to that. But again, I repeat it: politics is far should be far removed uh, from the scriptures. If you have a political position, yeah, I argue for your political position from. I mean, using other bases. Other bases would in, would include, oh, uh, this person. I do not see this person as competent, or I see this person as more competent, or I do not. In the history of this person does not sit right with me. I prefer the history of this person. Uh, the association that this person keeps, uh, it's not encouraging. I prefer the association that this other person keeps. Yeah, because that's politics. Uh, and then let's not bring the Bible to justify uh, the things we are saying. But if there are political decisions, for example, if you find somebody somebody in office who is trying to make a decision that is against the Bible, yeah, yeah, yeah at that point we can engage with those decisions, with those principles. But uh, you do not say that, oh, I'm going to support for example, President Tinubu, because Saul came before David. Uh, that is, if we must all be honest, that is bringing the Bible into ridicule. And they say, you cannot long survive. Because, you see, politics, how can you go all out and say that, okay, I also because the Bible, it was in the Bible, Solomon came before, uh, before uh, Saul came before David, rather. Why would you say something like that? Because, I mean, how can you even put your, uh, your integrity on the line for a politician? You know, you never know what politicians are, we, we get up to. And uh, you see a man who is in politics and you think he's all well-meaning and he gets there and he does something that would bring disgrace to you. I mean, how would you justify it? It's just a shame that in Nigeria we don't hold people to account. There were many uh, pastors who said to us that, oh, the way to go in 2015 uh, was to vote for President Muhammadu Bari. I mean, the man got there, spent eight years as president and, and I suppose that the popular, uh, the popular conclusion is that those were eight wasted years. Eight wasted years. But, you know, somebody will come again and say, and say that, oh, those wasted years were for a purpose, you know. And, and it, is, it is that type of manipulation, uh, that type of reliance, that type of manipulation of the Bible uh, that brings the body of Christ into disrepute. Again, I say it. People should not use the Bible to justify their political positions. Argue uh, from other uh, from other bases on why you are making a political decision. It's your right to hold your political views. But when particular issues, when particular issues relate to the Bible, uh, then you can you can uh, you can talk about those issues. You can point out how the Bible, uh, what position the Bible wants us to take on those issues. But in, in terms of particular candidates, yeah. So if, for example, you are saying that I'm not going to vote for this person because of this view that the person holds, and then you tell us how that view departs from the scriptures, uh, that makes sense. But to say that, oh, this is the, this is the way to go uh, because Saul came before David. Nobody's going to take us serious if we persist in that way. 
Nobody's going to take us serious. Again, I repeat it, there are no consequences in Nigeria. There are, there are pastors who have said that, oh, uh, Obasanjo would not be inaugurated. He would die before his inauguration in in 2000, and, 2000 right? In 1999, that he would die before his inauguration in 1999. He did not die. He actually spent eight years as president. That person still has a church, a thriving church. So there are no consequences, and these things continue. But, you know, uh, all these things chip away from the integrity of organized religion. And it's not good for us at all. Okay, let's move away to some other stories. Now, I want to tell the story of a former Senate president uh, from Nigeria. Uh, this time around, uh, Senator Bukola Saraki, who was formerly Senate president. His father, his father was the majority leader of the Senate in the Second Republic. And of course, he comes from uh, a family with a history. In those days, they used to dominate quora politics, but not anymore. Maybe the time will come again, but we do not know. But anyway, he published on Instagram a picture of himself flanked by his daughter on the one hand and somebody that he puts forward as his son on the other hand. Uh, and then the backdrop is the main court, the main court at Wimbledon for those who... Uh, sports enthusiasts and those who follow the game of lawn tennis you know that that is the uh, that is the like the sacred place sacred place for tennis in the world it is it is a most elitist place so that even if, if you find yourself uh, at the main court of the Wimbledon uh, then it means that you are part of the global elites right global elites and this is what he wrote uh, the caption to that picture he wrote saying I'm having a great time at Wimbledon with my children where we had the incredible opportunity to watch Djokovic, the defending champion, and Ms. Jebel, the Tunisian female player who was in the finals last year. This experience brought back fond memories of my late father who, along with late Chief Okoya Thomas, took me to Wimbledon for the very first time where I watched Arthur Ashe's exceptional skills on center court. It's been both humbling and exhilarating to pass on this experience to my children, just as my father did with me. And I want to read that again. Uh, this is what Bukola Saraki wrote. So Bukola Saraki, former senior president, uh, who uh, posted on Instagram the picture of himself and his children at the uh, at the Wimbledon uh, recently. He wrote saying, I'm having a great time at Wimbledon with my children. And then he wrote saying, this experience brought back fond memories of my late father, who, along with late Chief Okoya Thomas, took me to Wimbledon for the very first time, where I watched Arthur Ashe's exceptional skills on the center court. It's been both humbling and exhilarating to pass on this experience to my children, just as my father did with me. And I suppose that there's nobody uh, engaging with the culture from a Christian perspective who would read this last portion of this post and not begin to think, exactly of what God expects from all of us, from all of us. This is what uh, uh, Senator Bukotaki wrote, that it's been both humbling and negative to pass on this experience. This man has written saying that, oh, uh, his father, along with his father's friend, Chief Mola Deokoya Thomas, 
took him to Wimbledon to, for the very first time. So, you know, as a boy, I, I, I mean, any, anyone would always remember an episode like that. Oh, the first time I went to this place was with my dad. My dad took me here, or my mom took me here, or my brother, my uncle took me here for the first time. And he's now saying that, well, he has done the same thing for his children. That's announcing to us. I, I hope you really understand what's going on. And this is a man saying, well, the first time I went to Wimbledon, I was taken there by my dad. And I never forgot. And he's now telling us, telling you and me, hey, what my, what my dad did for me, I've done for my children as well. I've taken my children to Wimbledon as well, announcing to you and to me that he has done that and says it's both humbling and exhilarating to pass on this experience to my children, just as my father did, uh, did with me. Of course, uh, your guess as good as mine. The way uh, we are going to engage with this uh, from a Christian perspective, where we may not have uh, the opportunity to be that that privileged, that privilege, but oh, oh, for the privilege of taking my daughter to the Wimbledon as well. But you know what? Uh, my dad took me to a place more prestigious than the Wimbledon, and of that I will be eternally grateful. You know that place. At the foot of the cross, the foot of the cross. I hear somebody out there saying, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please. But you know what? There are places, or there is a place more prestigious than the Wimbledon, more prestigious than or the most prestigious place in the world. And I, and, and, and I tell you, there is nothing more, uh, more humbling and more exhilarating than for a Christian who has had the privilege to have been led to Christ by his parents, to be able to lead his children as well to Christ, to Christ. And for those who were not led to Christ by their parents, you know, for a Christian who has been led to Christ, to be able to lead others to Christ, not only in the family, but the family matters, is the basic unit, and the Lord, our Lord God Almighty has said that over and over again, you must begin in your own Jerusalem, you must begin in your own family. Psalm 145, verse 4, one generation commends your works to another, they tell of your mighty act. This is exactly what what uh, Dr. Bukola Saraki is doing from a secular point of view. You know, did, uh, what he did here was to connect three, generation, uh, three generations together, his father's generation, his, and his children's generation. And he's saying, look, I have continued the tradition. The tradition started by my, my, my dad. My dad took me to Wimbledon. Uh, I never forgot the experience. Now, I've taken my children to Wimbledon. I hope they will never forget the experience as well. And you can imagine if the Lord tarries and any of these children, or all of them continue to be uh, in good standing, uh, they would also want to take their children and say, look, my father took me here and my father's father took him there. Hey, that's, that's the kind of story that God wants to be told in our families, right? That's the kind of story that God wants to be told in our families, that what God wants to be told in our circles of influence. Yeah, that's the kind of friendship God wants us to have, to say that, oh, oh, in this circle, oh, this was the first person who took us there. This was the first person who took me to Christ, and then I invited this person, and he invited that person, and then we continue that unbroken chain. That's the unbroken chain uh, that uh, God wants us to, uh, to continue to weave. Unfortunately, uh, we find that I mean, just look at the trajectory of history. You find that there's a generation that is so uh, vibrant for the Lord, and then the following generation is not led to be that vibrant. And then the generation following is even less vibrant. And that's a shame. But there are other cases where you find uh, the generation coming after being even more vibrant than the one that came before. And that's what should be. New King James Version 
Psalm 145, verse 4. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty act. That should be our resolve, each one of us in our family, to say that one generation shall praise your works to another and declare your mighty acts. Okay, and next I want to tell the story of the plea, the plea from an abortionist in the United States. You know where an abortionist is? In the United States now, there is this divide in the culture between uh, the pro-abortion advocates and those who, are, who, who describe themselves as pro-life. So the pro-abortion advocates are basically those who say that, look, a woman should have complete and total control of her body and she'll be able to do with her body whatever she would, including removing unwanted pregnancies. Right? Those are the abortionists. And on the other hand, you have the pro-life movement. Those who say that, look, every life is sacred. If you have, you have made that decision, that continue to have sexual intercourse, and now there is a baby growing in you, that that baby growing in you is the work of God. It should be preserved. Uh, you can only abort in extreme situations where you need to preserve the life of the mother or to preserve the life of the fetus itself. Meaning that life is so precious, you can only take life in order to preserve life. And that's the position of the pro, uh, pro-life pro people. But the pro-abortionists say, look, a woman has complete control over her body and she'll be able to, to make that decision. No, Nobody should uh, intervene in that decision process. So this person, according to this report I'm monitoring from, from Fox News, says, the New York Times featured an opinion piece from abortionist Christine Ehrenberg about the ethical duty of doctors to share stories about abortions. And I need to listen to that. She described it as the ethical duty of doctors to share stories about abortions. So this is an abortionist suggesting that doctors have an ethical duty to share the stories about abortions. And you suppose that what kind of stories? According to the article she wrote, the article is titled, Why Abortion Stories Matter. The article focused on what Edinburgh believed as a moral imperative for doctors to share ordinary experiences with abortion in order to humanize their work and support people in a post-Roe world. Now, when we talk about Roe, we are talking about a case, Roe versus Wade. That is the case uh, where the right to abortion was first uh, was first put into the lexicon in the in the United States in 1973, Roe v. Wade is the case that uh, the United States Supreme Court decided that every woman in the United States has a right to abortion. Of course, that case has not been overturned by the Supreme Court last year, where the Supreme Court has now declared that there is no such federal right that, only, that each state may decide on the position of things uh, within uh, its own jurisdiction. So when people talk about the post-Roe world, it's talking about uh, the world where Roe versus Wade has been overturned, if you ask me rightly so. But this is this is somebody arguing here that doctors who perform... And you know what? Okay, let's take some steps back. You know that doctors who perform abortion are, are often seen as... As maybe killers, somebody will say, oh, they're just killers, that they're murderers, that they are doing unethical things, and that they are doing immoral things. So people tend to see them in bad light, sort of. But this is a woman who is arguing, and look, you need to tell the stories of the things you do so that you can humanize it. 
Can you imagine that? And, and I said to myself, even before we engage with the real part of this story, that if you need to humanize anything, if you need to put a human face to anything you are doing, it supposes that maybe that thing is not human in the first place. It's not humane, rather, in the first place. If you need to humanize anything, if you need to do something to humanize to humanize the thing, the things you do, it means that what you are doing is not humane in the first place. Because if if it were humane, uh, you would not need to humanize it. But this person is advocating, telling doctors that they have a moral imperative to share the ordinary experiences. So what, what she wants to say, again, I want to read from her from article. She wrote here saying, Now more than ever, abortion providers must share the ordinary and extraordinary stories we witness to humanize our work, to advocate for our patients, to move people. This is the impetus behind my writing and the work of other doctors. Hmm. And, and of course, your guess is as good as mine. You know why I'm bringing this up? This is somebody who is advocating for a position that I, I hope you believe is not scriptural, for a position that I hope you believe is immoral, for a position that, that I hope you agree is not humane. This person arguing for, for the killing of babies inside the womb. If Science has proven beyond doubt and technology has shown us that the fetus has life. We know from Psalm 139 that uh, the Lord himself made the fetus in the mother's womb. The psalmist wrote saying, your hand covered my unformed being. My, you, you, you saw my unformed being and you covered me, you protected me while I was in my mother's womb. Because the Lord formed that fetus in the mother's womb. So much so that uh, it, will be, it is wrong to, to exercise the power that we do not have just to kill simply because... Uh, that unformed being uh, is able to be killed. But this woman is writing saying that, yes, many people in the culture see abortion as wrong, as immoral, as, as ungodly. But let's begin to share good stories. Share your stories about the work and humanize the work. Let people say it. And I know what they're going to do it. They're going to do it. They're already doing it. There are several books now published, uh, several articles now written, several movies now made, just to show how wonderful uh, is abortion. There are many people who have come up to tell stories of how, well, uh, they got pregnant at age something, got it removed, and then went on to do fantastic things in the world. Imagine if I did not get rid of that pregnancy, I would have been head back uh, by that pregnancy. Of course, man, the popular culture will not tell the stories of those who continue uh, to be held back, held back by the guilt of what they did. And of, of course, who knows of the opportunities lost by the world, by our society, for not bringing many of those children into the world. But I want to talk about the area where this woman emphasized the need to tell the stories. She said, look, let's keep sharing the stories. Let's let's humanize our work. Let's keep sharing these stories. Let people know that what we are doing is fantastic, is good, and then you'll find that our opinions will continue to change. And the question we should be asking, I'm engaging with this from a Christian point of view as well, how much of the story of Jesus and his love do we share? How much of his story uh, do we share? We just engaged uh, with Psalm 145 verse 4, say, one generation shall tell of your mighty works to another, and they declare your glory. But let's be reminded of what uh, Jesus said uh, to that woman, uh, the woman that he met uh, at, the, at that well, that Samaritan woman, that Samaritan woman.
You know, you know what that you know what that woman did? Says many many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Because the woman had that engagement with Jesus Christ, she met the Messiah, and immediately what did she do? She went into the city and declared to all of them, saying, Wow, wow, I have met. I have met the man who told me everything I've ever done. So this is the woman who shared a story. Who shared a story? And you know, we read from verse 39 that many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. But we, we, so there's there's power in telling stories. We have to tell the stories of Jesus and his love. And people on the other side, they are they are catching up to it. That there is power in sharing stories. Again, in Mark 5:19, after the Lord had healed that man. The man said, look, Lord, I want to go with you. Because you have done this much for me. Let me you say, but Jesus did not let him. But he said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how he has had mercy on you. That's what the Lord said to that man. In Mark 5, go home and, and tell your own people. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how he has had mercy on you. Telling stories is very important. We must not never tire of telling the story of Jesus and his love, of Jesus and his love. So the other side, those who are not on the Lord's side, they are catching up to these things. They know the importance of telling stories. You had that woman there saying abortion doctors should humanize their work, should tell stories. The more stories they tell, uh, the better for people to embrace abortion. You know what? The more of the gospel we share, the more means are available to God to bring others to his saving grace. Shouldn't we, shouldn't we be telling more stories? Shouldn't we? And finally, today I want to share this story. The story of... Uh, this is a very sad uh, story. I want to read it from uh, this blog. It says, The Federal Capital Territory Police Command has launched investigation into the suspected murder of construction engineer Onfrey Uchena Naji in Abuja. The decomposing corpse of the deceased was found in his apartment in the Dawaki area of the FCT on Saturday, July 8, 2023. According to the punch, the engineer was killed by some suspected assailants who gained entry into his apartment. It was gathered that Naji's neighbors, who were unaware of what happened to him, started perceiving a foul odor emitting from his apartment and informed the police. A commercial driver in the area who gave his name simply as Musa said policemen detailed to investigate the case upon gaining entry into the apartment found Inaji's remains on a chair in the apartment. According to this eyewitness, quote, the engineer's corpse was found in his apartment in the Dawaki area. The policeman came to evacuate his corpse on Saturday around 8 p.m., the corpse was already decomposing, which means the incident might have happened before Saturday. People in the area are still here to come to terms with what happened. The house has been cordoned off as we speak. A source in the FCT Police Command told the publication that policemen, while observing the crime scene, found a hammer beside Naji's corpse and a written note stating that the killing was allegedly carried out by one Alpha who claimed to be avenging the death of his sister. Then this eyewitness said, quote, The deceased must have been killed with a armor. A sledgehammer with blood stains was found beside him. Also, the backside of his head had a deep cut. 
He was seated on his chair with two pieces of handset charging cords cable around his neck. Also, a written note by someone who identified himself as Alpha was seen on his table. He claimed he killed the deceased to avenge the death of his sister and also accused him of using other girls for Yahoo Plus. And you know, when you read things about Yahoo Plus, Yahoo Plus is about uh, those who, who perpetuate fraud on the internet and also also doubles into occultic things. So, you know, some people, so uh, I mean, it's out there in the culture, people who are double into occultism and they kill people, use body parts ostensibly to make money. Uh, so, according to this story, if it is true, uh, the person who killed this engineer left a note saying, leaving his name as Alpha, and saying that he killed him uh, because he, the deceased, killed his own sister. So, the man uh, was said to be, uh, wrote a note claiming that he killed the deceased in order to avenge the death of his sister. So then they were very disappointed. Now we do not know this. We do not know the truth of this matter. We do not know whether indeed uh, the deceased person killed the assailant's sister. But we know that if indeed the killer left that note and did that to avenge uh, the death of his sister, we know that he has not avenged that death at all. Number one, the sister will not come back to life, so there is no avenging there. And number two, his sadness will not be reduced by what he has done. And that's the lie of the devil that we must never forget. I do pray that you never be you never find yourself in a situation where you you want to kill another person in order to avenge an injustice. But you know what? Avenging an injustice will never reduce the pain of the injustice originally suffered. It will never reduce the pain. And it is only the devil who leads us to suppose that taking vengeance into our hands will reduce the pains. It never reduce the pains. Our Lord has said it. Do not repay. Vengeance is mine. Do not avenge. Says the Lord. Vengeance is mine. Do not avenge. So uh, this, this man said to be afar. If indeed he killed that engineer, if indeed he left that note, now it will be bearing, it will be, it will be, solved, it will, it will be faced with double jeopardy. He will continue uh, to, uh, to grieve for the loss of his sister. And what is more, he will continue to be pursued by the guilt of his own killing of that engineer. We do pray that he himself will find rest and come to the saving grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And for all those who are here, uh, for us especially, uh, we may not be as... The matter may not be as grievous as this one, but in all cases, let us learn. Let us stand. I pray the Lord will give us grace to hear the voice of God saying, Vengeance is mine. Do not avenge. I will repay. Vengeance is mine. Because you know what? The judgment of God, they are good and righteous altogether. And those who leave the judgment to him, I think they will, they will receive special blessings from him. But okay, for trusting me to avenge you, you know what I will do? I will give you something so fantastic that those who think they have cheated you, they will come and say, wow, wow, God has given him much more. This is such a very sad story and there are so many people to to feel for here. You feel for the family of the girl said to have been killed by that engineer. You feel for the family and relatives of that engineer himself. And you feel for the soul of that alpha said to have killed, uh, to have killed that engineer. 
and you find that you see when ungodliness reigns what follows will be tales of sadness tales of woe tales of tragedy we pray the lord will comfort all those who are directly concerned and that those who are still living we come to the knowledge of his saving grace. And those of us who read these stories, who reflect on them, will again, will again be cautioned to let the Lord avenge us. What a sad, sad story. Thank you very much for staying with us this morning on gospelbestreader.com for On the Lord's Side, Christian Perspectives on News and Current Events. I look forward to seeing you again tomorrow by God's grace. Please remain firmly on the Lord's Side. You are listening to gospelbellsradio.com, the Christian internet radio with a mission to engage the culture with the mind of Christ. Keep listening and invite others, too. God bless you. Engaging the culture with the mind of Christ. 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 Christ.